Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Katie Garcia and I'm the youth group teacher here at Fourth Universalist. I use she, her pronouns and I thank you for joining us. What follows are selections from our service on January 2nd, 2022. In this video, you will hear the reading and reflection from our service. Following that, I hope you'll join us for a lively discussion where myself and our guest worship leader, Errol de los Santos, go deeper into the service theme together. You are invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week, which can be found on our website, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, please take a moment to leave a positive review, to like, to comment, to share, and to subscribe to help us spread Fourth Universalist message and spirit further out into the world. Finally, we acknowledge that our physical congregation is located on the land of the Menonce Lenape peoples. Through this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as well as we embrace the eighth principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. Today's reading is by the late American poet Maya Angelou and is titled A Brave and Startling Truth. It was composed in 1995 in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations. In 2014, this poem, along with several other pieces of art, was sent to outer space in the first test flight of the spacecraft Orion. Hear now the words of Maya Angelou. We, this people, on a small and lonely planet, traveling through casual space, past aloof stars, across the way of indifferent suns, to a destination where all signs tell us it is possible and imperative that we learn a brave and startling truth. And when we come to it, to the day of peacemaking, when we release our fingers from fists of hostility and allow the pure air of, to cool our palms, when we come to it, when the curtain falls on the minstrel show of hate and faces sooted with scorn are scrubbed clean, when battlefields and coliseum no longer rake our unique and particular sons and daughters up with the bruised and bloody grass to lie in identical plots in foreign soil. When the rapacious storming of the churches, the screaming racket in the temples have ceased, when the pennants are waving gaily, when the banners of the world tremble stoutly in the good clean breeze, when we come to it, when we let the rifles fall from our shoulders and children dress their dolls in flags of truce, 
when landmines of death have been removed and the aged can walk into evenings of peace, when religious ritual is not perfumed by the incense of burning flesh and childhood dreams are not kicked awake by nightmares of abuse. When we come to it, then we will confess that not the pyramids with their stones set in mysterious perfection, nor the gardens of Babylon hanging as eternal beauty in our collective memory, not the Grand Canyon kindled into delicious color by Western sunsets, nor the Danube flowing its blue soul into Europe, nor the sacred peak of Mount Fuji stretching to the rising sun. Neither Father Amazon nor Mother Mississippi, who, without favor, nurture all creatures in the depths and on the shores. These are not the only wonders of the world. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kithless globe, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, and the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace. We, this people, on this moat of matter, in whose mouths abide cankerous words, which challenge our very existence, yet out of those same mouths come songs of such exquisite sweetness that the heart falters in its labor and the body is quieted into awe. We, this people, on this small and drifting planet, whose hands can strike with such abandon that in a twinkling, life is sapped from the living. Yet those same hands can touch with such healing irresistible tenderness that the haughty neck is happy to bow and the proud back is glad to bend. Out of such chaos, of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people on this wayward floating body created on this earth of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth, a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety, without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. Here ends the reading. Hi everyone, um, my name is Errol De Los Santos and I use he, him pronouns. Um, first, I wanna take a moment to thank the Fourth Universalist Society team for all their hard work uh, the process to create these services are very involved and the team is so talented. I am in awe of how much care they infuse in every moving piece, so thank you. I also wanna take a moment of gratitude 
for our fourth Universalist Society digital pulpit and to acknowledge my privilege to be here. Many places of worship censor their pulpits, often denying it to women, LGBTQIA plus people, people of color, people of a specific class, educational level, political affiliation, backgrounds of all kinds. I am grateful to participate in that tradition. I am fortunate and we are fortunate that our congregation's pulpit has no such censor and that all are invited to speak truth, love and justice from this pulpit. Every year in my adult life, I would ask my mother what she would like for her birthday or Christmas or any special family event. And she would respond with the same answer every time. What she wanted most every year was peace of mind. The younger me was, in, was frustrated when I heard this because it was such a, a nebulous and vague thing being a product of materialist culture, I, it infuriated me because there was a compulsion to purchase something, but it had nothing to attach itself to. So I had to sit and think, what brings my mother peace? Several years later, several meditation sessions, retreats, yoga classes, and self-help books later, I've begun to contemplate what peace meant to her and what peace means to me. It was only recently that I became grateful to her for this thoughtful exercise because I've lived a life so focused on cultivating my own inner peace that I often forget my responsibility to secure peace for others. Now, if you were one of my former teachers, you would tell me that I had no control over anything outside of myself. You would tell me how uncertain life is and how I, if I even attempted to shift reality for others, it would, it would result in failure or that I was giving into an unhealthy impulse to, of trying to control, uh, take control of things I cannot fully control. You would also tell me that I needed to release my attachment to people and objects and focus on my own inner peace. Although a theology of detachment can be helpful and sometimes necessary, it isn't part of my theology. Instead, I was interested in exploring other perspectives. Although I am an advocate for cultivating inner peace, as a person of faith, my mission doesn't stop there. Our principles also ask us to contemplate what securing peace means for everyone. I want to feel so emboldened by this goal that my peace is intertwined with my neighbor's peace, my undocumented neighbor, my poor neighbor, my hungry, imprisoned, disabled, discouraged, downtrodden neighbor. Now, this is a monumental task to be sure. Where do I even begin? Well, what I used to do with that former teacher was close my eyes and visualize the things that bring me the most peace. I flipped that on its head and I approached it from a harder, more uncomfortable place, exploring my perceptions 
of violence? Is it violent to pass a $778 billion military defense budget on the advent week of peace? Is it violent to know that some of us are just one sizable medical emergency away from being in debt and unable to work? Is it violent to evict people from their ancestral home? Is it violent when our siblings struggle under the weight of systemic oppression? Is it violent to live in a society that doesn't guarantee free access to food, shelter, and healthcare? The more questions I ask about what is and isn't violent, the closer I came to the truth. Violence is constantly being inflicted to our brethren. And where there is injustice, there is violence. A brilliant man by the name of Reverend John Haynes Holmes, a Unitarian minister in the early 1900s here in the city of New York, also asked these questions. War had ravaged the political and theological landscapes of the time. Churches and other religious institutions struggled to address humanity's inhumanity during and in the aftermath of war. Reverend Holmes was not deterred and stood rooted in the traditions of religious pacifism. He knew that war destroyed lives and stoked fear, deep fear in the other. He joined his colleagues and preached fiery hour-long anti-war sermons from the pulpit. His words tugged on the nation's moral conscience and reminded people that even though they were securely tucked away behind the walls of the American empire, they had a duty to stand in direct opposition to military violence. Clergy and lay folk alike opened their hearts to the call for peace so wide that it extended the boundaries of denomination and religion. Why? Their beliefs echoed the historic peace churches, the Mennonites, the Amish, the Church of the Brethren, the Quakers, and other religious institutions that not only believed in peace, but helped to shelter others from violence. Unitarian Universalism is part of that tradition. We are part of that tradition. Now that you've heard me, I know how daunting it is to measure the morality of every decision we make. I know that even as someone who believes in the idea of pacifism and securing peace for others, negotiating my own actions through the filter of peace isn't perfect. And that can be frustrating. But beloved, I am reminded that I am not alone. We have a community that stands on generations of people who love and enjoy peace, people who love and enjoy securing peace for others. Again, I'm not undervaluing the path to inner peace. In fact, I encourage it. It takes a lot of work, love, 
and care to cultivate inner peace. But beloved, I urge you not to stop there. Do not release your attachment to others who are vulnerable to the violence of living in this society. Know that you have the power to affect this culture. You are needed and it is time. Mabuhay kayo lahat, amen and blessed be. Welcome uh, everyone. I'm thrilled that you're with us today. Now to our guest worship leader, uh, can you just take a moment to introduce yourself for those who don't know you and make sure to include your pronouns in that? Yeah, sure. My name is Errol De Los Santos. I am a first year divinity student over at um, Union Theological Seminary and I use he, him pronouns. Uh, well, uh, Thank you, Errol, for getting the year off right, starting with the service on peace and what a, a deep and contemplative way to begin the new year. I have to ask, why did you decide to start the year off with this sermon on peace? Um, so my sermon starts off with a story about my mother and um, it, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a cute story. She always asks, I always ask her what she wants for Christmas or what she wants for her birthday. And then she always, she always says, I want peace of mind. And, you know, it threw me back to this um, culture that I used to be part of where it was all about developing inner peace. And that's where it stops, right? Like you don't, there's nothing outside of you that you can control. There's nothing outside of you um, that uh, you can affect. And, um, you know, I, I don't agree with that. I, it's not part of my theology. My theology isn't about detachment. It's about attaching and then attaching to people who are the most vulnerable in our society and being sure that um, my peace, our peace extends to them. So um, that's where the sermon really kind of gets its content. <laughs> Well, first of all, I loved that story. We have very different mothers. Mine asks for earrings or scarves, uh, <laughs> which is equally as valid. Uh, but but what a what a soulful and deep way to to answer that question in the first place. And what I really appreciate is is the way you kind of flipped on its head this kind of reigning theme in our culture where we're really focused and prioritize inner peace and, and inner attunement and self-care and noting the relationship, that interdependence, that we need other people to be at peace too for us to even get close to that. And, and we don't really talk about that as much. It always seems like you either have to do one or the other. How did you come to the place of finding that balance in your own practice? Okay, so in my own practice, um, I like to think that um, developing spiritual practices in my life um, also means um, securing, um, it, it also means securing the idea that I am uh, fighting against injustice towards other people. Um, and, you know, it's not enough to develop like a meditation um, schedule. Um, we also have to meditate on other people. Um, so there is, a, so the balance there is that whatever I do, 
whatever spiritual activity I engage in, I always have to keep other people in mind. Mm. And um, so that's that's where I, I try to, to balance it out. Mm. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, and you did such a beautiful job of diving into that idea. And again, in, in the spirit of flipping things on its head, when reflecting on the idea of what is peace, the fact that you flip that on its head and ask, well, what is the opposite of peace? What is violence? And how do I define that as the starting place to figure out the answer to that question is really interesting. You said that uh, it was one of your teachers who kind of inspired you to do that, but inspired you to, to do the more traditional route. What led you to contemplate violence as a way of getting into peace versus the possibly more simpler route? Sure. So, I mean, when we talk about violence, really the things that come up to our minds are like, you know, physical force against other people. And um, although that is violence that we still need to think about and, and fight against, um, like uh, military violence and, and war and things like that, or, or domestic abuse, uh, child abuse, elderly abuse. Um, we also have to think about what violence means in the context of, um, uh, of injustice, right? Um, is it violent to be misgendered? Is, does that cause physical harm? Does that cause mental, spiritual harm? Um, is it violent to uh, be evicted from your apartment that you've lived in for 10 years because you can't afford to pay the rent? Um, is it violent that we're not receiving like free access to healthcare? Um, these are all things that we need to think about in order to kind of plan a way to enact our pacifism, in order to find a way to um, be sure that there is peace there for the person who is receiving the violence. Um, and you know, that, that's a tough thing to do for like um, a lot of our decision-making. Uh, so it, it's, it's difficult um, and it takes work, but um, yeah, that's where it starts. We have to start by um, isolating these points of, of violence towards people in our society mm. in order to, um, to, uh, to act peacefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, a line uh, in, in your sermon that so poignantly got to this point that where there is injustice, there is violence. And that was such a, a beautiful way of capturing this idea, which I think intuitively we understand, but it's but when you open it up to that degree, you're right, it is harder because there's a there's an overwhelming aspect of it because we know injustice is so systemic and deeply ingrained in nearly every facet of our lives. So I wonder how, again, do you keep on keeping on in the spirit of actually working for justice and peace when we know that anything that we do might at most make incremental change in the moment? if not in our lifetimes, because we know that the work of actually creating a just and peaceful world is generational work and that we are just the latest 
in a long line of people working towards this and we have so much more to do more than we could possibly do in our lifetimes. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it, I feel like maybe uh, being inspired to do this work, um, we can look back on uh, the people who have done this work before us, right? And what they endured and the hard work they put into the organizations um, they created and, and, um, and kind of uh, kept working at. Um, and, you know, as a Unitarian Universalist, I am not, you know, exempt from, um, from thinking about these things mm -hmm. and um, being able to, uh, to just, uh, oh man, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a loss for words because I, I am thinking about like all these people who are, you know, peacemakers in, in history who, um, who've done so much great work. Um, the per one of the people I highlighted in our sermon, uh, in the sermon was, um, is uh, Reverend John Haynes Holmes, um, who is a noted um, pacifist, uh, Unitarian pacifist here in New York City. He had done um, amazing things like uh, uh, formed a relationship with Gandhi and um, had used his, uh, in his history and his um, ability to uh, to say no to war um, and um, act in nonviolent ways um, and brought it to the pulpit and and spread it to the people the masses so you know we have to we have to think about these people we have to study these people and we have to follow from their examples you know and that's how you carry on the work of pacifism. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so appreciated the, the, the nod to kind of the long history of pacifism and religious peacemakers in our tradition, other traditions. Uh, I'll be honest, one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you about this, this service um, is that little known fact for those who are watching who know me, um, I actually got my degree in international affairs. I wanted to work at the UN and do peacemaking. I did work at a UN affiliated peacemaking organization that was founded by one of our uh, kind of UU4, in his case, fathers, um, and got to see some of that work in action. And there's, there's something really beautiful in, in reflecting on that history and thinking about carrying that torch forward. But as you noted, it's hard work. Like I will say, having been in that organization, not being in that organization anymore, it is hard work day to day to try to hold the space for all of that systemic injustice and violence and to just play such a small part. You know, the I think about the, the law of disproportionality where incremental change has a greater than incremental impact. When doing peacemaking work, it kind of feels like the opposite. It's like you need a disproportional effort to create a very, very small impact, which is, which is it, you know, to your point, it, it, it make, it makes it even more, more challenging to continue to find inspiration day to day when the weight of systemic oppression is, is bearing on you. So uh, I'm seeing your eyes. So you're, you're with me on this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we're going into a new year. And of course, this is a time where people are thinking about and talking about, you know, 
new year's resolutions and goals and all of those kind of things that we go into a new year with eyes open hoping to make something better and certainly after the past two years we're looking for some form of better change because it's been a long two years in thinking about what you talked about today in terms of wrestling with those daily choices and looking at them through this lens what is your advice to people going into the new year in terms of how they can take this idea into action on a daily basis on a weekly basis whatever it might be so i mean i mean like you said um just to take your decisions and know that every decision you make um and and this is this is a, a very a daunting task and i know this um because I used to weigh all of my decisions with a, a moral scale. Um, but now, and now I'm asking people to uh, add an additional thing to that is, um, the additional question to that, and it is, um, is it peaceful? Does it cause violence? Or um, does it protect someone who is, um, who, who, who is experiencing violence? Um, so, you know, is my is my decision to put this plastic bottle in a recycling bin versus you know something that will end up in the dumpster? Is that causing violence? Mm -hmm. um, is you know it, purchasing this product over this product is is that causing violence somewhere? Um, and we're so used to having these like automatic like thinking. Um, I guess what I'm really asking is that um, people should weigh their decisions with peace in mind. Mm. And um, it's hard, but um, it's, it's worth it in the end because you are extending your peace to other people. Mm. I, that got me, that got me because it's, it's, it is so easy to just kind of go with the flow. You just, grab your favorite shampoo from the local, you know, Walgreens, CVS, whatever it might be, and not really think about the implications of it. Uh, so yeah, having that, that level of, con you know, consciousness and conscientiousness and in just very basic day-to-day decision-making is such a, a tangible way to take this idea into action. And it makes me think to that beginning part of, of your sermon where you talked about the frustration of peace of mind not being this tangible thing in a commercial world. And this is a way to do that. Um, so that's really, that's really wonderful advice. Um, thank you for that. Uh, before we go, you know, I, I have to ask is, uh, you know, as, as you're going into this new year with this in mind, um, you know, what are you hopeful for? What is it that you're aspiring to in, uh, you know, a, a new year in 2022? Um, well, let's see. Um, I really like, I would love to work with um, Fourth U in um, a lot of different projects um, with their um, anti-racism work, um, especially their eighth principal task force um, and um, their social justice team, um, any kind of project really to uh, kind of move this idea forward. And um, 
that's what I'm really looking forward to, just to kind of strengthen and deepen my relationship with this faith community. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, your impact is greater in a, in a community that um, believes in these things and believes in peacemaking and believes in um, fighting against injustice. So that's what I really look forward to in the new year. Oh, well, that's, that's wonderful. And, and absolutely, there's something really heartening and renewing to, to do this kind of difficult work in community. Um, well, Errol, thank you so much for spending the time to talk about this and for your beautiful sermon to kick off the new year. And I also want to thank everyone uh, for watching this. I hope you'll tune in next week. Mm-hmm.